What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bullen. And Ben, today we've got a topic that uh, I, I cannot believe we haven't covered since uh, since the very beginning, really. Yeah. Now, this is this is weird for us because we've been at this for a while and we have touched upon Formula One in a number of other podcasts. I would say many times, just to be fair. I mean, we've we've talked about um uh, you know, new technology that comes out, of course, you know, some of the, the advanced systems, the engines and things like that. We've talked about um, pit stops, of course. Mm-hmm. We've um, talked about some race records that involve Formula One. Yeah, exactly. And and the series and in a whole, I guess we've just never covered from beginning to end. And, uh, you know, that was pointed out to us by a listener. His name is uh, Justin from Indiana. Uh, sent an email recently, and it says, Hey, Scott and Ben, I'm a big fan of Formula One racing. I was looking through my Car Stuff podcast, and I couldn't find any podcasts about Formula One racing. I thought you guys could do a podcast on F1 and Grand Prix and some famous drivers like Michael Schumacher and Fernando Alonso. Love listening to you guys, and thanks for reading my email. Justin from Indiana. Now, well, I, I I looked at this email on my screen, and I think I, I you know theatrically blinked twice, and I thought, no, there's no way. There's no way we've missed F1 <laughs> As a main topic, right? Right. And I did the same thing when I was reading the email. And Justin, thank you for writing to us. Uh, Scott and I also went back and looked through our catalog of podcasts, which is getting pretty long now. And lo and behold, Justin from Indiana, you are absolutely correct. Not only, not only have we never covered those drivers. We've never covered Formula One. And the weird thing about this is, our regular listeners, you guys will notice, uh, we recently did a podcast on Formula E, which is the will would-be electric version. Latest and uh, maybe not greatest um, effort in this arena, right? Yeah, no spoilers, but it's definitely not Formula One. It's, it's kind of trying to piggyback off that. But Without further ado, Scott, we're not above getting uh, w- being pointed out 
stuff like this. No, right? no, that's fine. And I, I honestly, I had to look back through the, you know, our RSS feed and, mm-hmm. and do a search and find out if, if we had done this because we're approaching 500 episodes now at this point. We're getting close. And, uh, and to go back through all that and look and, and discover that we hadn't t- covered a main topic like this. Kind of embarrassing, a little bit red faced, <laughs> but uh, you know I'm glad we've caught it because you know we're you know or Justin caught it really mm-hmm. and uh, brought it to our attention because I, I think we uh, we've got a lot to cover today, right? And yeah. and I want to mention that at the very end of this podcast, there's a uh, there's a, there's a new record that you absolutely have to see to believe. This is something I'll describe to you, but you have to go out there and find it and look at it to in order to comprehend what's going on. This is an amazing record. So I promise that by the end of the podcast we'll talk about this and, and you'll be, you know, in the know and what's going on. And it's and it's current. It's very current. It'll be one of the last things we uh talk about, so please do stay tuned for it. Uh we will not give you a spoiler other than to say I don't know, Scott, maybe halfway through the podcast throw in like one hint. Oh maybe. Okay. Maybe. So so let's start with just the um you want to start at the beginning? Now, well, let's go way back to the beginning because we like to do that. We like to go yeah. back to the, the very early, early days of this. And, and Ben, I, I know I've said this before, but we learn something new every day here, don't mm-hmm. we, when we do Absolutely. the research for this. And uh, I I had been making a mistake my entire life up until this point. What was it? I had been referring to uh, cars that were really, in, in actuality, Grand Prix cars. I had been calling them F1 cars or Formula One cars, even though they predated the actual Formula One series, which I didn't know began in 1950. Yeah, which may surprise some people. Some people may say, whoa, that's way too recent. But that's because there's a little bit of a mix-up with terminology that a lot of people make here. It's it's kind of confusing. And once once I tell you this, you may understand it even more. If you're one of the people like me that just didn't didn't get this or hasn't, hasn't really read up on it, um, now, you know that Formula One races today are called, you know, the Grand Prix of Monaco, the Grand Prix of Italy, the Grand sure. Prix of uh, the United States Grand Prix, Bahrain, whatever. Bahrain, whatever. Exactly. Um, that's Formula One cars racing in a Grand Prix race. Now, prior to 1950, going all the way back to 1906, anything from 1906 to 1949, that was called Grand Prix motor racing. And that was the original series, I guess, that birthed Formula One. However, the Grand Prix motor racing cars raced in races that were also called Grand Prix. So mm-hmm. you can go back and look at races that were called, you know, the Grand Prix of Monaco or Grand Prix of, uh, you know, Germany or whatever sure. uh, from 1930 or 1914 or whenever. And uh, that Grand Prix race is part of the Grand Prix series. It wasn't until 1950 um, that Formula One you know, which is like a, a, a series that's sanctioned. We'll talk about the sanctioning yeah, and all yeah. that. But um, so Form- Formula One is from 1950 to present. Grand Prix is from 1906 to 1949, if you want to keep it straight that way. Right. So 1906 to 1949, none of those are Formula One cars. Exactly. And I I personally, now I mentioned that, you know, I made a mistake all along. I personally had thought, you know, in the 1930s, because some of my favorite cars, which I want to talk about here in just a second. Sure. Some of my favorite cars come from the, the 1930s in this in this type of racing. And I had mistakenly all along called these, well, that's, you know, if someone says, what's that car that's on your on your wall there? Because you uh-huh. don't got a little poster or whatever up on, yeah. the, on my cubicle. Um I would say that's a uh, that's the way Formula One cars looked in the 1930s. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's an Auto <laughs> Union Grand Prix car, Formula One car, which really wasn't true. It was a Grand Prix car. So it's it's a minor distinction that needs to be made. But um, I think that you know we're talking about we're we're covering Formula One, but we do have to go back to Grand Prix because that's where it all started. And now that we've entered uh 1950 we've entered the birth if you will of formula one uh we have some interesting stuff to talk about when it when it comes to the dawn of formula one you know scott it wasn't a smooth beginning actually Uh, there was especially 1952 and 1953 there was a uh little bit of a lack of entrance which is surprising now because formula one is a Premier racing event. Yeah, it's surprising to me that they didn't have enough drivers really to fill out the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, you know, you look at uh, you know some of the newer series because this was considered, which is odd enough, but I mean, it's considered kind of a new series, really. Yeah. Um, a lot of people will liken this maybe in a similar way to when, like, the IndyCar cart split. You know, people there were fans from one side that said, "No, it's got to remain this way." And I'm sure mm-hmm. that at the time in 1949, 1950. There were fans that said, we can't lose this Grand Prix heritage that we've had for, you know, the previous uh, 43 years. Right. Um, what's with this new series? It's going to it's going to destroy it. It's not going to be anything, anything good, anything worth watching. And, um, you know, the, the new drivers, they were probably the ones that are just kind of the uh, and new teams. Mm-hmm. They were saying, well, let's give this a shot and see if it see if it lasts. Yeah. And of the 20, also cost was a big consideration even back then. And we're going to see this pattern continues today. Oh, for sure. But uh, of the of the twenty different makes or teams that competed in 1950, uh, the majority were soon forced out of the out of the game entirely by the cost. That's incredible, isn't it? Now I mean, we know now that you know year as a yearly budget. Uh, these teams spend billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Billion. The, the bigger teams. Well, yeah, the bigger teams. But overall, as a as a series. We're talking billions and billions and billions of dollars with bees. Yes. Um, you know, back in the 1950s, I would assume that it's millions, if not, you know, 100 million. Sure. Whatever it was. I, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't that much. Maybe not was, 100 million, but. Yeah, it's, it was millions, I bet. It was millions, and the cost escalated quickly. Yeah, it's, an, it's always been an expensive sport. One other thing that um, people should consider is that for, for a time, if we're being candid, uh, the F1 series had a difficulty with safety. Uh, in some of the first few races, the death toll was gruesome. Uh, there were 13 drivers killed in F1 cars over the first decade. Yeah, that's not a good record for 10 years. That's a, uh, I mean, 13 drivers in 10 years, and that continued on through uh, the 60s and early 70s uh, with, uh, you know, we mentioned Jackie Stewart. That's another part, you know, another point where we've talked about Formula One in the past and not really gone into much detail, but uh, Jackie Stewart and his push for safety in Formula One in the late 60s, early 70s, um, he formed groups you know, with drivers that said, we're not going to compete in your race unless you change this aspect of this course. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they got things done that way. And, you know, it was just it was a very, very hazardous sport to be involved in because driver safety really wasn't the main concern at that point. Yeah. You know, it was going fast. It was... Uh, um, which is, you know, to be fair, it's still it's still all about going fast. But you know, the driver, you know, they want to protect the driver, of course. Now, but and and no one wanted anything bad to happen to the driver in the past. It was just it wasn't thought of as like the main goal. 
Right. And in uh, the defense of F1 as well, uh, Jackie Stewart made an enormous difference. He also made a difference at a time in which greater safety was possible. We have to remember that the difference between the safety technology available in the 50s and that available in the 60s and 70s, enormous. I know. And look at the advancements that they've made now. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about things like even safe barriers and just proper runoff areas. Because if you look back um, at the Grand Prix footage, I've looked at some uh, some old film footage, and I don't know how they really got this. They must have strapped an enormous, you know, film cameras to the cars. Yeah. But watching like, uh, you know, Juan Manuel Fangio drive around, you know, the Italy circuit or something, you know, and they've got film footage of him in car type stuff. And um, his, the the track that he's following, the, uh, you know, the course that he's on, I mean, immediately to his right and left is is brush that's, you know, six feet tall mm-hmm. and, and boulders and things like that. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a completely different world. I mean, they, they, they've really up the safety in this exponentially in the last uh, couple of decades. And that's just a lot of it is from the series itself. You know, they learn lessons every time something bad happens. Um, yeah. But it takes an accident or, or something serious to happen like that for them to, to grow even further. And as we'll see, this uh, this is still an evolution. This is still a work in progress. Uh, when we get to the regulations, the safety approaches, and also just the um, – well, you know what? I'm talking about something we're going to talk about. Should we just talk about Formula One yeah, let's, regulations? Uh, I think so. And, you know, just with a little little hint of, uh, you know, Grand Prix stuff sprinkled in there as well because, you know, there's some there, – there needs to be a little bit of looking back, just a little, not, yeah, not a context. whole lot. Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, here and there. Um, man, where should we start? Okay, so I guess we should just say it's a top class in, uh, in this type of racing, right? The single seat racing. Yes, it's, uh, open wheeled single seat racing. Okay, and it's, and the sanctioning body is the Federation International de la Automobile, which is, uh, FIA, which will mm-hmm. be called FIA from this point forward for obvious reasons. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> uh, and that was, boy, Ben, that was founded in 1904. So it's founded two years prior to the actual birth of Grand Prix, Grand Prix race, yeah. yeah, and um, I don't know. It's got a front man who's uh, he's a controversial guy, Bernie Eccleston. Ah, right? uh, yes, the um, infamous, famous, notorious. You love him, you hate him, you can't live without him if you're a race fan. Bernie Eccleston. Now, Bernie Eccleston is um, the primary um, power associated with FIA and Formula One. Uh, Bernie Eccleston has been lauded for some of his work with the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has also been vilified, at times, fairly, for uh, some of his more controversial statements. Certainly. I mean, we should just maybe talk about who he is, and we can leave the controversial stuff up to listeners to take a look at and decide, you know, whatever they want on that. And there's a, yeah. it's, it's funny, but even just as uh, somebody who's not, I think, interested in, you know, auto racing or whatever... Um, I think somebody would, pr- I think a lot of people will know who this character is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he turns up in the news, you know, maybe frequently a couple times a year, it seems like there's something going on that, you know, somebody outside of the motoring world would have interest in. They would, yeah, they would, would, he was just in the news actually in April of this year. Oh, no. Yeah, he, um, you know, one of the last races, uh, recently was in the Middle East and, uh, he was in the news for, uh, in, in Bahrain, actually, for uh, claiming that it was something that the Bahraini government had done was was stupid in regards to the race. Oh. But, you know, I not, also... Not a smart move. I also want to say, though, this is just a little sidebar, Scott. 
in defense of um, celebrity owners, drivers, almost any athlete really, what we have to remember is that we live in an age of ubiquitous communication. So it's a lot it's a, it's a lot more difficult to say things off the record now. Mm-hmm. So depending okay. on the circumstances. Okay, and there's another little side bit here that yeah. I I don't even know what to call this really, but um maybe I'm unfairly bringing this up, but Bernie's 82 years old. He's, he's old school for he's, sure. He's old school and he may just kind of off the cuff say things that, you know, he finds appropriate that really aren't appropriate to say out loud mm-hmm. in uh, in mixed company or whatever. And uh, a lot of times he uh, he puts his foot right in his mouth when he when he speaks. Now, um it he just let's just give it's the general biography. Okay, so he's a British businessman. Uh he's a president and CEO of Formula 1 Management and uh and other Formula 1 associations like the you know the uh the constructors association mm-hmm. and things like that, right? So he's he's uh he's always like the the front man. He's the the uh the guy that people go to for the comment or the quote. He's kind of the face. Exactly. Yeah, he's the face of F1 really. Um he's also been he's a former F1 competitor mm-hmm. um and driving manager. Now it goes way back because uh he entered two races in 1958 but he didn't qualify for either one. So he I mean his racing days go back to the the late 50s um in the sport so early early on mm-hmm. in in Formula 1. Um and let's see what else. Oh, you know what? He also sold uh Famously sold the F1 television rights in the 1970s, uh, which means that, you know, we're able to finally see Formula One racing here and, you know, regularly. And right. that holds today. I mean, even now we, we're able to, you know, pick it up on cable somewhere. You're able to find a Formula One race. It's usually where I live right now. Um, it's usually like an early, early Sunday morning. Like the race yeah. will happen at like, you know, 6 a.m. Sunday morning so they can cover it live. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not always the, the greatest time slot, but that's because they're, they're covering the event live. And I also want to, again, I know I'm coming out to defend Bernie Eccleston, but if you guys don't know who he is, Check on the internet and you'll completely understand why I'm trying to give just the devil's advocate thing. Scott, as you said, he's 82. I do want to point out that he is also a self-made man. He is, yeah. You know what? And he's really built quite an empire there. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, billion, billion dollar empire. So, you know, take that, uh, for whatever you like and, and, and make is, up your own. Oh, is my. he the nicest guy? <laughs> Absolutely not, guys. But, but, um, he is, I think, uh, at the point where he could be considered like a king of this empire. He's very shrewd. And what he says goes, oh, yeah, did you hear that story? There's so many Bernie stories. I just want to tell one. Okay. Did you hear that story about when he was injured and he got a black eye? And no. he he took, he used the his face as part of an ad for uh, that, that went up around, um, I think it was in England, uh, with him with his eye blackened. Really? Yeah. I can't remember what it was, if he was selling watches or something, but this guy knows how to turn a dollar. Interesting. Making uh, lemonade out of lemons, right? Yeah, making pence into pounds, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. 
because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. You know what, this thing, I mean, this this whole organization, this is part of the FIA and part of, you know, everything, mm-hmm. but uh, extremely strict rules. And that is why, actually, it is called Formula One. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, as you know, you've mentioned it to me in the past that this is really a, uh, you know, Formula One. I mean, there's really a formula for this racing and that you need to follow this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. But there's wiggle room. Ah, uh, yes. And the wiggle room, I would argue, is the heart of the competition mm-hmm. here. Uh, so Formula One, what, what is the formula exactly? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> I'm sorry I set myself up for it. Uh, for, the formula really refers to these very strict and quite specific regulations about the race. Uh, there are both, there are two types. There are sporting regulations and there are technical regulations. Now, Scott, you and I know the sporting regulations are the ones that cover how a race is conducted. Mm-hmm. So, sure. ha- how it's operated, who starts it, how it's concluded every imaginable thing in between. Sure. And uh, then the thing that might be more interesting, uh, both to you and I and to uh, all you ladies and gentlemen listening, uh, are the technical res- regulations. So the technical regulations, this is where the fun stuff happens. Yeah, and if you want an idea of, you know, exactly what's going on here, you can go to the Formula One website. Which is great. Uh, it's for just FormulaOne.com with the number one. I think the uh, if you use O-N-E, I think it takes you to like a window tinting place or something like that. <laughs> right. So um, go to the Formula One website, click on the News tab, and then the Technical tab. And uh, you'll see right there, I mean, just a few examples of, of teams that have developed their own wing variations. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've developed their own, um, 
you know, like their, their own chassis designs that are aerodynamic. They've got their, I'm sorry, not chassis, but suspension components, you know, the exposed chassis up front. Mm-hmm. Um, also like, uh, new wing designs, exhaust designs, and, uh, it's very team specific. Like one team, uh, developed a, something called a blown wheel hub, which, uh, which, I think they deemed it as uh, unusable or, or um, uh, what do you call it? Just it's, outside of regulations. It's banned, yeah, yeah, because it was actually a movable aerodynamic device or something like that. But uh-huh. uh, you know, they, they find a way to channel air through the car out the wheel hubs during oh, the race, okay. which is very, very clever. Um, and I think they've modified it now to make it actually work so that it's again within the rules. But this is there's always this cat and mouse back and forth, right? Yes, the devil is in the details, and that's a that's a very good point because. What If you look at the chronology of Formula One from the 50s to the present day, then you'll see that teams consistently are reading, are reading the rules very closely and saying, okay, well, we can do this with the tire, we can do this with the wing, and then the next year, the next few years, uh, FIA will come back and say, well, that is an unfair advantage or these things are going to be banned. And if you look at the, you know, the rules, you can find rules for this year. I mean, there's a, there's a list of 2013 rule changes, mm-hmm. and it's a long list. Yeah, rule changes, guys. Yeah, rule changes. Now, that's updates to existing rules, and then there's going to be new rules. And then mm-hmm. there's rules that, you know, if you go back, and I, I wish I could find a place that would do this, but I wish you could go back to, you know, 2012, 2011, mm-hmm. 1975, 1972, you know, whenever. Do a year-by-year comparison. Exactly, and find out, like, what did they remove this year? Like, what, what mm-hmm. did they say in 1975 you couldn't do anymore? What You know, same for 1962 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be fantastic to see that list. And, Scott, the FIA isn't always the bad guy. I feel, I feel that I'm maybe vilifying them a bit, but they also take their time to reward these innovations when these teams make them and they're within the rules yeah. like the uh the FIA has this spot on the Formula 1 website uh that you were referring to earlier where they say that they're pretty much congratulating people when they update these uh these new innovations that these racing teams have made absolutely and sometimes in in the opposite direction they'll make them uh they'll make them mandatory for another thing they'll say mm-hmm. they'll say you know what this design is really working and it's making it a better a better race, a better series, uh, we're going to make that mandatory for 2014, 2015, whenever they, you know, they decide when and, and what to do. Or, you know, we're going to modify it a bit, but then we're going to make this something that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And now that that is not as common as something no. being banned, but it does it does happen. It seems like they just continually take away and take away and take away, doesn't it? Well, and, but, yeah. but you know what? That causes the that causes the team, or that promotes the team, to do more with less, and that be, mm-hmm. and that that also kind of breeds innovation and development as well. So you know, this this is a uh, like I said, it's a cat and mouse give and take thing that happens, mm-hmm. and it's really really good for the series. It's good for um, us as you know consumers with you know this trickle down technology that that inevitably happens in the marketplace it really does absolutely um there's you know so many racing innovations that that show up in everyday cars eventually you know first the top end cars and then it gets down to you know the cars that you and I can afford but <laughs> and then uh you know but it but it does happen it takes a while but um you know this is exactly where this type of thing comes from necessity uh is the mother of invention if mm-hmm. i could use the corny quote now when we when we in the united states think about the um think about open wheel auto racing we're usually going to think of nd 500 right yeah i think so but that's not associated with formula 1 oh and one thing i do need to mention uh there's 
more than one formula. Formula One is not the only formula. It's just the, the premier. Yeah, that's right. There's, uh, there's also Formula Two and there's Formula Three and there's other Formula Series. And I think this was originally, what do you say? It was Formula A, I think. At yeah, one point. briefly and at the beginning, a little the, bit of trivia. Yeah, it the, was Formula A. Formula A. And then they went with Formula One, which um, I'm not sure why they decided to, to designate that. I didn't find that, but, um, I, I would be interested to know mm-hmm. why they made the change. So we can think of a lot of drivers who get to Formula One. Just, just so you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're getting ready to become a Formula One driver, Scott and I are completely behind you, man or woman, and we will talk about women, female drivers, uh, women drivers. Definitely. Uh, but you got to know that these drivers are such pros; they don't usually just start right at Formula One. No, they start in one of the other formulas. Yeah, or they even come from like I, I think there've been drivers that have j- made the jump from IndyCar and yep. Kart. You know, which is another two two other open wheel series right. over to Formula One, and uh, you know sometimes they do well, sometimes they don't do well, and uh, you know then that leads to there's so much of this, Ben. If you mm-hmm. if you go online, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have done this, you know they like let's say you're an Indy 500 fan, you love the Indy Car Series, you love the Kart Car Series, you know when it was in, in place back then. Um, and you, you know, make a statement that, you know, you love IndyCar. Well, then right away, a Formula One person, a fan, will jump on you and say, <laughs> no way, Formula One is the greatest. And then, you know, it's the same thing with stock car racing, you know, so mm-hmm. NASCAR versus IndyCar versus sure. for- Formula One versus car. You know, it's just everybody's got their own favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this this has a huge fan base, by the way, though. I mean, they get tens oh, of yeah. hundreds of thousands of people uh, watch these events because, you know, these are these are big, big track events. And you know what? Here's one of those parts where I want to go back to the, uh, the, the beginning. Grand Prix. Grand Prix, because um, Grand Prix, now, it, going way, way back into 1906, the first race that was organized by the Automobile Club of France, so it's ACF. Mm-hmm. Um, again, 1906, that's the first official Grand Prix race. The term actually means, uh, well, the first term that was used really was Grand, I'm going to mess this up, but Grand Epreuve, and which means Great Trial in French. And uh, by what they mean by great trial is this. Um, each lap that was run at this first race was 65 miles long. And they ran six mi- They were in six laps each day of the race weekend. So let's say, I don't know if it was, I don't remember how many laps here. Someone could do the quick math. But um, the total race was 780 miles for that Jeez. first race. Now, that's why they called it a grand trial. That makes um, sense. It does make perfect sense, right? And and here they are driving around these tracks, you know, for this long, and they've got these huge inefficient engines. They've oh, got these right. uh, these ten ten anywhere from ten to fifteen liters in size. So there's enormous engines, fifty horsepower, <laughs> which is still one of my 50, favorite. Five zero fifty horsepower in these like ten liter engines, you know, that are they're mm-hmm. powering these enormous cars through the French countryside, which you know at the time. They're going really, what they think is really fast. Sure. Uh, you know, for 1906. What would that be? I, you know, I don't even have yeah. a top speed here. I don't have a, uh, I don't have like a, um, a list of, you know, averages or, or tops or anything like that. But, uh, I mean, for it to take, you know, a full weekend, a 65 mile mm-hmm. lap, six day, you know, yeah. well, six laps each day. That's still a lot of driving, Ben. That's a huge amount of driving, and I'm really glad that you mentioned this. Can we talk about the modern Formula One engines? Oh, I'd love to talk comparison? about it. Yeah, that's perfect because, um, man, they are incredible machines, aren't they? Yes, I would go, you know, I get a little bit, 
a little bit philosophical when we talk about after a certain point of expertise and craftsmanship, I start comparing engines to art. I know I've done it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it again with this one. Because one thing that might surprise people uh, who are not too acquainted with the Formula One cars is that the engines in Formula One cars are are at base uh, surprisingly similar to the engines that might be in your car, in that they're internal combustion engines, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, they're not they're not running off jet fuel or anything. Uh, they've got the the same tra- or they've got a transmission suspension system, all that stuff. Um, but they are not designed for casual driving. No, no, no. This is where they. I mean, this is how they extract power out of that engine, right? Yes. Now, now this is where it comes down to tuning and and machining and just you know mm-hmm. the, the the well the overall fine tuning of an engine, really. And the engines have changed over time because the type of engine, or at least the engine specs, are dictated by FIA. Yeah. So I mean, I'll go back to 1950, yeah. but I do want to mention something here: is that you know there there. You know the automotive engineer Ferdinand Porsche, of course. Ooh, yes. Um, famously of you know Porsche Motor Company. Um, he one time said, and there's a, a funny quote here. It says, "The perfect race car crosses the finish line in first place, and then falls to pieces." And uh, and I think that's perfect because you know that makes that makes incredible sense, right? Because you want it to just run run itself, you know, right to the ragged edge, right to death, really. Right. And uh, and then you know, once the race is over, it doesn't matter because that thing's going to be rebuilt anyways, right? As we'll find out. Yes. But uh, uh, I'll wait on that statistic. But we have a, we have a couple of neat statistics. Yeah. So up. so you know the there's man going back to like 1950. Mm-hmm. They were getting about a hundred horse, uh, about one hundred horsepower per liter in these cars, right? Now they were still up in, you know, like the, I don't remember the the liters that were allowed back then in the nineteen fifties, but um, mm-hmm. it's still it's still a lot. But a hundred horsepower per liter is about what you and I would get in a in a street car now, right? Which means for our listeners here that Scott could take uh, his car back in time and compete with these guys. I've thought about that so many times. Wouldn't that be so cool <laughs> if yeah. you had if you were in, you know. Uh, this is sidebar, of course. Totally. Let's say you're Monte Carlo. Okay. So, well, suddenly you're in a uh, in a dusty village, you know, where you know there's nothing but uh, horse and carriages, mm-hmm. and you've got this Monte Carlo that looks like a space machine. Um, you know, w- what would people think of that? Uh, depending on the time, people would probably think it was some sort of active. Like diabolic, yeah, sorcery uh, of some yeah. kind, right? Yeah, yeah, you were probably right. Sorcery, they would, exactly. They, they would come at you with uh, torches and pitchforks, probably. No, no. If it was, if it was, maybe more in the thirties or the oh or the forties, like where people had heard of uh, cars mm-hmm. of some sort, then hopefully I could find you know the local uh, man or woman of science. And open the hood and say, "Please do not burn me alive." Yeah. This is an engine. I mean, it, w- it would be an awful lot like when the DeLorean showed up, you know, in the nineteen what was it, nineteen fifties, and yeah, uh, in yeah. Back to the Future. Okay, anyways, back to the back I, to. Formula I think one. about it though too. Okay, so uh, we talked about nineteen fifty. It's about a hundred horsepower per right. liter. Uh, then came the turbo era, which this is really impressive, Ben. Mm-hmm. From like a one point five liter engine, these guys are getting like seven hundred and fifty horsepower per liter Huge out of the engine. Jump. Enormous jump. And then I also heard that, you know, in this era, and they were banned, eventually banned in 1989, yeah. uh, the turbo engines were. But um, there's good news on that, by the way, coming up. And uh, so this 1.5 liter engine that they had, this this turbo engine, they could detune it. And they had certain specifications that they would run at for race day, for qualifying, qualifying. and uh, what was the other one, for uh, practice. Mm-hmm. And for qualifying, 
I believe they were allowed to completely let this thing out. And uh, they were up to like 1,500 horsepower in these 1.5 liter engines, uh, these turbo engines, which is an enormous amount of and, horsepower. And is that still the highest amount of horsepower? I don't, you know, I would think that that would be because, you know. Over the history of the race. I mean, this is kind of around the Can-Am days, you know, the Can-Am series. Mm-hmm. And that was like an unlimited series. And they drove scary fast cars back yeah. then. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. I mean, ridiculous, like 14, 1500 horsepower during the race uh, with other cars all around them. It's it frightening. And series, also, but really cool. Also, let's keep in mind that this was during the era when there would still be non-championship Formula One races, yes. which um, eventually were discontinued because of the profit or the uh, the expense. <laughs> yeah, profit. The Excuse of the me. Time, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I really yeah, meant. Yeah. The lack of profit. Yeah, yeah. That's what you meant. But okay. but so uh, this engine evolution continues because, as you said, the turbos were eventually banned in what eighty nine. Eighty nine, and then there's okay. So there's immediate horse power drop, right? And right. then uh, by the time we get it to 2000, or rather 2005, we're back up to around 1,000 horsepower again. Mm-hmm. So you see what they're doing, right? They're, they're just engineering themselves back up to the point where they were, right? Right. And, and uh, oh, go ahead. And I was just going to say that those, we're talking about those V10 engines, right? Yeah. V- well, these are the ones that are getting like 300 horsepower per liter. 
I don't know what size they were at that mm-hmm. in, during that era, during the 2005 era. I think you're right. I think it was the V10 at that point. Yeah, up to about 2006, they were uh, these just monster engines. Yeah. They were V10 three-liter engines. Yeah, yeah. And, and remember that statistic, everybody, that Scott just said, how much per liter? Like... 300. 300 horsepower per liter for that one. Um, you know, and, and again, this reminds me of the pre, you know, the Grand Prix days mm-hmm. when they're running supercharged V16s, uh, which are enormous engines. But right. I mean, those are in my, my favorite cars, the Auto Union cars, the, uh, you know, the, uh, Bernard Rosemeyer and those guys mm-hmm. that, that drove the, uh, you know, these enormous Auto Union cars that look like, uh, look like giant tubes. Yeah. That the driver <laughs> sat way out in front, you know, the engines yeah, in the, the back. Engines in the back. It's just, it, it looks impossible to drive really but uh they did it so skillfully and they were driving at speeds you know like you know 250 you know plus you mm-hmm. know even faster on uh when they did these you know speed tests out on the autobahn uh which is an incredible story we have to talk and, about that and someday. in 2006 though because what what do we say is the rule you guys every time that the engineers get a little bit too familiar with the rule yeah. and the leeway, the rules change. So yeah. the rules changed 2006, uh, and they were using 2.4 liter V8s. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the power, of course, dropped down to uh, about 20% of what it was. So I'm going to guess right around 800 horsepower mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but the good news, Ben, is uh, you know since 2006 they've been working on it. And the power did you know did come up. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly what they're rating them at right now because there's a lot of conflicting info like where exactly they are right now that's true but there is a new the the information that's out there now is more about what's coming in 2014 and that's kind of a big deal because uh they're bringing back uh the turbo engines because right now they're naturally aspirated uh no turbo no supercharge or anything so they're going back to the turbo but get this it's going to be a 1.6 liter v6 engine Mm-hmm. So it's getting much, much smaller again. Which is which may surprise people, but you have to remember with uh, the allowance of a turbo again, mm-hmm. that do, that's a game changer. I mean, look what they did in the uh, in the turbo era, mm-hmm. you know, with the one point five liter, where they were getting, you know, they could tune it up to fifteen hundred horsepower if they wanted to. Yeah. Uh, now they're going to have to play within the FIA rules and find mm-hmm. out, you know, exactly what uh, what they can do with it. But I, I would say that you know the performance isn't really going to be hurt by these things. Maybe no. initially. Maybe initially a slight drop, like what we saw when the V8s came around. Yeah, for like maybe for like the first year or two, but we have to keep in mind that the the original turbo era mm-hmm. was decades ago, and now there are a lot of lessons learned that are going to be applied and quickly. Scott, I wouldn't be surprised if this blows everybody's expectations out of the water. Whatever these engineers are cooking up. Fantastic point, Ben. Because uh, you know the modern technology, they should be able to. They probably, I, I know they're already working on what they're going to do with it. Yeah, and they they have been. I'm sure they got wind of this. You know what? I'm sure there were a couple of teams. I'm not going to name names, but I'm sure there were a couple of teams who just kept tinkering with turbo technology, just in case. Just in, yeah, you're right. They probably have never had it off of their workbench the entire time. You know? Yeah. All right, Ben, you know what? I'm coming to the realization that uh, this may have to be broken up into two parts. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right, man. I just, I'm really into this. There, I am too, and there's so much material to cover here. I mean, we're going to end up just reading things super fast just to get it all in, and uh, I think, you know, we need to cover a lot more still. We've got that, uh, you know, that teaser, I guess, that I've been playing along the whole time. The with New the, World Record. The New World Record that uh, has a little something to do with maybe... Um, 
human speed, not not vehicle speed. Maybe that's my uh, my hint. How about oh, okay, okay. And uh, but that's coming up, and I promise you know we're going to have to do that in the second part. Uh, all right. Well, Scott, I am sad that we didn't get this all in one episode. However. As the more reasonable half of this podcasting duo, I defer to your expertise. You are correct, sir. Uh, we are going to make this a two-parter. So, uh, everybody, we hope you've enjoyed the first part of our Formula One podcast, uh, along with this world record that we're teasing. In the meantime, why don't you uh, give us a holler, give us a suggestion for an upcoming topic if you're interested. You can drop us a line on Facebook. You can write to us on Twitter. And ladies and gentlemen, if you don't care for social media at all, you can still send us an email. Our address is carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.